bringing relevant and engaging insights to human resource and talent development professionals. This is Talent Champions with Diana Thomas, sponsored by Franklin Covey. Here is your host, Diana Thomas. Welcome to Talent Champions, episode 44, Be More Strategic in Business. This episode, we're gonna change things up and have award-winning Chief Learning Officer, Mary McNevin, move into the seat of guest host. She's going to be interviewing myself and Stacy Boyle. Stacy is the VP of Solution Consulting with EdCast, and she holds a PhD in research and evaluation, and she was featured in episode number seven of our Talent Champions. Mary has a doctorate from University of Pennsylvania, and she's also an executive coach. In addition, Mary is a friend, colleague, and she was a guest on episode three, way back in the beginning of Talent Champions, where she shared a wealth of information about networking. So over to you, Mary. Thanks, Diana, and I am honored to be here today. And I'm gonna be interviewing you and your co-author, Stacy Boyle, about your award-winning and highly ranked book, Be More Strategic in Business and How to Apply Strategic Leadership in an Ever-Changing Business Landscape. I'm so excited about this book. But before we get into today's topic, I'm going to ask Stacy, could you just share a little bit about your background and how you got into the role you're in today? Thanks, Mary. Uh, yeah, so I've spent the past 25 years in the learning and development space. I work for the top three e-learning vendors, and I really met Diane and started engaging more and more with learning leaders in 2010 when I worked for CLO Magazine to design uh, the Learning Elite Benchmarking Program. Because my whole passion is around driving business impact, I know the what learning and development leaders do and what talent champions do and what it takes to have successful, impactful organizations. And I really wanted to build a benchmarking program then that showed the value that the, all the investments and time we spend in learning and development drives business impact. So I had the great opportunity to work with so many global learning leaders. And that's where I met Diana and eventually started working with her more and more. And I've worked for predictive analytics firms. I've done everything. So whereas Diana's been really deep at McDonald's, I've been across. I've worked for nonprofit school districts, federal government, all kinds of different Fortune 500 companies. And currently as the vice president of solution consulting for EdCast, it's kind of coming to culmination now where I'm getting to work with our customers in a thought leadership role and really show the value of uh, business impact. Well, I always thought I would be a teacher. My undergraduate degree is in education. But there was a different path that was laid out for me. I started working at McDonald's as a shy teenager, and I ended up climbing up through the corporate ladder, working in the restaurants and HR and training. And then my last position with McDonald's Corporation was running their global learning center in Chicago and overseeing for the US the learning development and their whole education strategy. Uh, along the way, I obtained my MBA and really discovered my passion is for developing people and helping others grow. So five years ago, I was blessed to retire early and start my own business around coaching executives and working on things that I'm really passionate about, like being part of the National Diversity Council's board 
teaching new talent leaders and recording this webcast, which is a great way to stay connected with such wonderful, talented people and to be able to give back to an industry that has been so wonderful to me. It is a wonderful industry. And it's so fun because it's interesting because you get people like you and Stacey that are so willing to share information. Let me ask you this. Your book is all about strategic leadership, and that phrase gets thrown around a lot. So how do you guys define strategic leadership? You are so right. I have heard and seen so many definitions about strategic leadership. And when Stacy and I came together and said, you know what, we want to put this book together, uh, we started to really kind of look at what does it mean to be strategic? Mm-hmm. And, and this came from you know, so many people through my career, because I came in as a, you know, as a crew person, and then an individual contributor, and then moved into, you know, leadership roles, where I was managing others, and then leading others who were leading large groups of people. And it's a process to learn how to be more strategic. But it used to make me crazy, because you'd hear, you know, be more strategic. Well, what does that mean? So when Stacy and I got together, we really tried to say, in a nutshell, what does it mean? And what we came up with is being strategic uh, around leadership is really how you show you're driving the corporate strategy and adding real value. And so we came up with that, but then I, I was saying, you know what, Stacey, it doesn't show you what you need to do. It's not descriptive enough. So the way that I defined how to be a strategic leader and what it looks for is a strategic leader is tuned into the needs of the business So they really understand the business Mm -hmm. and they understand how his or her actions impact the corporate objectives. So there's that alignment. And then they think through consequences and they use data to make smart decisions. So kind of bucketed into, uh, you know, different areas, but trying to be as descriptive as possible so people could really put their arms around this. That makes sense. So you're really looking at the needs of the business, but you're also using data. How about you, Stacy? when you think about what does it mean to be a strategic leader, how do you define it? You know, that's a great question because as Diana just said, there are so many definitions out there and philosophies around strategic leadership. It means someone that's able to understand the business and determine how what they do and how they can bring value to the business and their teams can impact the business in ways that matter. And I think after that about how the how part of it is based on your own personal philosophy. So we all bring different skills, values, talents to the table and how I function as a strategic leader may be very different than Diana does because I bring something different to the table, but we both know our goal is to drive results for the business. And I think that's one reason why our book has won some awards is because of the practical application. We understand that people bring something different to the table, but everybody's focused on strong leadership and making an impact to the business. Um, Let me give you a little instance, Mary. After the book came out, I had someone on LinkedIn reach out to me and she worked in the medical field and she was a researcher and she was very tactical, sort of like how I was when I started my career as well. And she said that during her performance reviews, she kept being told, you need to be more strategic. And Mm. she didn't understand what it meant. And she said that she bought our book and it gave her an idea of what they meant. And she actually sat down and made a plan and decided to invest in herself and to show up more strategic. And she took the tips from the book 
and started applying them immediately. She started seeing a difference in the way people treated her and their expectations of her in meetings. And she said she was so grateful because her career mobility is much better and much more hopeful for her future, she said, because she felt like she was stuck and trapped. Yeah, that's what it sounds like to me is that when she read it, she was able to take what she read in your book because it was so practical, she was able to apply it. And because she was applying it, it changed the view of people at work on how she was viewed as a more strategic leader. So that's a pretty cool story. Yeah, it changed her view of herself, too. And that's, that's how a, it resonated. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. So what, you know, really, what experiences in your career led you guys to write this book? Because this is not an easy book to write, let's be honest. How to be strategic in business is very difficult. It's not something that comes naturally. So tell me a little bit about why you wrote this book. Well, for me as I was moving up the corporate ladder and being in charge of developing talent for the company, it really became kind of a quest to learn more about how can we get people to be more strategic, especially people like myself that had to learn it. I didn't come in from another company or come in with all of this experience about leading. I had to learn it. And it's frustrating when you see talented people not get promoted uh, and hear from top executives that they just don't get the big picture. They're not strategic. And so I would ask, what does that mean? What does it look like? Tell me who are the most strategic. And I, I think it became like a personal uh, quest to find out how can I define what strategic leadership looks like and how can I document it or teach people how to do that. So I really wanted to create a practical guide on how to do this. And Stacy was the one that as we were networking, and she was a great resource for me as the chief learning officer in McDonald's USA to really put together a measurement and analytics strategy. And as you know, Mary, she's just super, super smart. Right. So tapping into <laughs> tapping into Stacy's knowledge, and she's like, let's put a book together. And I'm like, Stacy, how do we just put a book together? And she had already done research. She said, let me look into it. So she had already like mapped out, I know some writers, I've got some contacts with publishers. So if Stacy doesn't know the answer as a, you know, master researcher, she can find it. So I had the inspiration and the idea and and just lessons learned from what I had, you know, collected over a 30 plus year career with McDonald's. And it was wonderful to work with Stacy because she has the piece that I wasn't as strong with in regards to just that analytics, because you can't be strategic unless you really understand the analytics of the business and can take your strategy, your vision, and put it in business terms. And then, of course, get people to you know support it and follow you and implement and execute. So it was a really good partnership, but I have to give a lot of credit to Stacy. I wouldn't be here without Stacy because she figured out the mechanics <laughs> <laughs> how to write the book. What a team. I mean, seriously, can't imagine two better people than putting a book together like this. How about you, Stacy? You know, it's kind of interesting. I had a very different path than Diana. Mine is driven from intellectual curiosity. You know, like we said, I'm a lifelong re- researcher. And I think that intellectual curiosity from I can remember having that in middle school. I remember getting kicked out of a couple of classes because the teachers were saying, (laughs) would you quit asking so many questions? I'm like, well, I don't understand. I don't understand. So, but anyway, when I um, earned my PhD and I got my first job, my professional job uh, was at Accenture. 
And I was like 30 years old. I had my PhD at 27, 30 years old. I get my first job with Accenture. I'm super excited. This was like, you know, late nineties. And I'd been there six months and I get my first performance review and it was really poor. And I'd never had a performance review before. I wasn't even really sure what it all meant, but I knew I was good at what I did. I mean, that I was sure of. And he said, um, people don't like meeting with you. Uh, you just bring up an Excel spreadsheet and start going down row by row, telling everybody how you did. People don't really care about all that. Like people don't like meeting with you. And if something doesn't change, then you won't be here long. And he wow. said, you need to be more strategic. And, and did you know what that meant at the time, Stacy, or was it something you, like Diana, really had to go on a quest to figure out? Yeah, I had no idea. I mean, this was the 90s. There was no Google, right? And I asked my manager, well, what does that even mean? And he couldn't help me. Mm. And so I decided I, I can't let this hold me back. So I just, you know, put my intellectual curiosity into play and started observing people. And reading, because there's really no book on how to be more strategic or what it meant. And if there was, it was a lot of business language I for sure did not understand at that point. Well, what a gift to other people that are young and up and coming to be able to have kind of a guidebook now. Because there wasn't one for you guys when you were starting your your career journeys. Yeah, that's very true. And, and I think that's one of the things that we probably hear the most is, thank you for giving us practical advice. When we had a few people review the book early on, uh, I remember, you know, them telling us, Stacy, is you guys are giving all the answers. I don't think you want to do that. I think you want a book that then they'll then they will call you and you can go in and make money and consult with them, you know, but you're giving them everything. Why would they need you? And we're like, yeah, we want them to have the answers like we didn't. We want them to be able to see some of the mistakes we've made and different paths to take and resources that they can use now to build that framework so that they can move up the ladder and be more strategic. Yeah, it's totally a gift to the people that don't have to go on those long quests that you did. Now, what year was it that you guys wrote that book? It was published in August of 2018. So it was two years ago. Well, I just want to know which one of you guys could see 2020 coming because when this was published in 2018, I just want to remind you the first chapter of your book is titled Finding Your Ground amidst disruption, which sounds totally like the theme of 2020. So when you think about it, what strategic skills help leaders navigate disruption? Yeah, that's so funny when you just said that and this flashed across my mind in regards to everything that's gone on. I, I don't think any of us expected to be where we were, you know, a couple, even a couple years ago that we'd be right now what we're dealing with. But I think the principles, I know the principles really, really help when things are crazy. Because when things are crazy, that's where the employees really need a leader that can set the vision and motivate people around them to move forward and to be that that kind of leader that gives employees and stakeholders and customers the confidence that things are going to be okay. And we're going to adapt and we're going to learn and grow together. You know, really being that authentic leader that can resonate with people so people feel comfortable in voicing concerns. But that leader also is helping that person understand where the future is and recognizing them along the way and using resources to make sure that they're moving forward at the right pace, on the right path, and adjusting as needed. 
because there's a lot of adjustments <laughs> that we've had to make. There sure were this year, that's for sure. How about you, Stacy? You know, I, I could be snarky and say that since I do predictive analytics, I knew this was coming, but... <laughs> <laughs> but I think even for you, that would be a stretch. <laughs> But I don't know, see if I could sell that idea. But you know what? It's really interesting when you look at 2020. I mean, what an amazing time for talent champions. I mean, so let's start at the beginning of the year. Let's go back. We can all remember the beginning of the year doing our jobs as we always do it. And then global pandemic hits. And then talent champions now literally become frontline workers. Right. We were plucked almost in some places out of obscurity in some organizations and become frontline workers. You know, so that was a challenge. And if you didn't have your strategic planning and forecasting in place, it was really hard to be successful at that time. So we're, we start with the global pandemic. We're trying to, you know, catch our breath, figure out what's the right thing to do. And now what do we find out in August? that effective November 9th, now the Securities and Exchange Commission is now requiring public companies to disclose the material value of their human capital. So what's that mean, Stacey? So that sounds pretty technical. So tell me if I'm an L&D or a talent person, what does that exactly mean? If you're in a U.S.-based company, after November 9th, so fourth quarter, depends when your fiscal year runs, fourth quarter, end of year, You have to look at your company and say that all these investments we make in these initiatives we make in our people are critical to running our business. They now have to disclose that in their annual report, in their quarterly reports. So you have to strategically as an organization come up, decide what is your human capital story you want to tell publicly and craft that story and tell it. And by the way, you have to have the data and analytics to back that up. Yeah, so it's really important for people that work for publicly held companies to know that and to know their data. What else about 2020? So I think that not only the pandemic, not only the SEC, but gives us a chance to sit back and look at our strategies. So for instance, our strategies around measurement and evaluation, right? We have to go back and revisit that. We have to go and revisit our overarching strategy as well for how we're driving the value of human capital. And something that's been very big, of course, is reassessing your technology strategy. You know, now we have a, a workforce that's more spread out and more disparate. So we have to communicate and manage and drive performance through technology. The changes are just enormous for 2020. I think it's, it's way more than, the, than what the pandemic has presented to us. Yeah, it's truly a year of change for talent champions, as you mentioned, that's for sure. I'd also add, you think about just the social unrest and, you know, what's been going on in the world. Um, That's added another dimension to the plate, Mm -hmm. you know, when I know you feel it as a learning leader and an expert coach as well is, you know, these leaders are now learning how to really make sure they're coming across really inclusive, and that they can motivate everyone and thinking through whether it's the way that they've recognized people or uh, their awards programs, or so many other things. So I think this year really has kind of put a spotlight on what we're doing and what we need to do differently as leaders, if we want to continue continue to succeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for this, for sure. And that means we really have to be strategic, 
really have to understand our business. And to your point, you have to understand the data and metrics about what you're doing and be inclusive around it as well. Now, one of the things I know you did, Stacy, right after the global pandemic hit is you ended up doing a crowdsourced L&D SWOT analysis. Can you tell a little bit about that? Yes. So when the pandemic hit, as a lifelong supporter of learning and development, I thought, how can I support the people that I know and love? And how can I support the field? And the best way I can do that is conduct research and provide insights. Because I know everybody's scrambling, trying to do their best, the best they can. So that's when I had the brainchild to do the first ever crowdsourced LMD SWOT analysis. And it started as a LinkedIn initiative. And it really grew from there because there were really a lot of like global respondents to the research. What we found was that the people reported that their strengths, the, the values and the capabilities they had to drive business impact was the fact that they felt like they had a strong strategic mindset, strategic leadership and strategic buy-in and a strategic plan going into the pandemic. They said that's how they were able to succeed. So those were the strengths that surfaced. And interestingly enough, the weaknesses that surfaced that um, L&D organizations reported across the globe was that the fact they did not have a strategic mindset and did not have a strategy, did not have a plan, really held them back. And they felt like they had to function in a more reactive mode instead of a planned mode. And of course, that made them worry about funding. Will their L&D department be around? Will they have a job? Those that were in strategic L&D functions didn't worry about their jobs. They knew they had jobs because they knew the business understood the value of what they brought to the table. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, you know, myself as a heading up talent, we didn't really have to give up our budget, but what we had to do is really reallocate our budget. So maybe what we were going to be doing, maybe in a face-to-face in a conference setting, we had to be reallocating it to maybe doing something more virtual and something more dynamic and just looking at how do we do business differently in 2020. So I'm just curious, what have you guys been seeing other leaders have been doing How do they adapt? How are they adapted this year um, to a lot of the events that we just have been talking about? The first thing that I've seen with learning leaders is, wow, if they were not aligned to the business and they weren't able to show how their group, their chunk of the organization was adding value, they had to do that really quick because there was some cuts. And if you weren't aligned, and I know you know people too, you weren't going to be around. So I think that was the first struggle. And so it's really proud of the people that I've interacted with in, they had already done some of that strategic work, and they were able to show the value. And then they were able to adapt to the need. Virtual became the way of offering everything. But when they were already down this path, they were able to go down and and tweak it a little bit more. But then you get to the point where people are saturated with, you know, virtual communication. So, you know, learning leaders, talent leaders had to learn how to go back and change things and make sure what they were offering was the most conducive way to deliver learning. And then for the leaders, you know, how do you stay engaged and connected and build relationships with people that you're not seeing? Mm -hmm. I think that probably has been one of the most challenging things is, you know, it's hard enough when you move up the corporate ladder and you're, you know, you've got 400, 700 people that are now reporting into you. And at least they would see glimpses of you, or you could talk at a a town hall meeting, or you could walk through the office. But when that's taken away from you, you have to figure out how to do 
it virtually or how to stay connected. And I would say that has been one thing that some of the executives I've been coaching have uh, been a little challenged with. So they've tried to create ways where, you know, that they just sporadically, you know, call up or text different leaders and coaching their leaders on how to connect to their people. So how do you connect when you don't see people on a daily basis um, or monthly or, you know, they haven't seen some people in six or eight, nine months. So I think that's been the most challenging thing. But the other thing that's been really positive is to see how people have stepped up, employees have stepped up, new leaders have stepped up, leaders who are really comfortable with technology have stepped up and figured out how you know to shine individually and to bring new innovative ideas together. So it's been kind of you know some negatives and I think negatives towards maybe some people who weren't as adaptive or not as aligned, especially some leaders. I remember coaching one leader that said, I'm not sure about letting people work virtually. You know, they had been asked to do this by their employees like, you know, three years ago and they had been pushing it off. But now that person is such a huge supporter. And I just talked to him recently and he's like, in a way, I'm glad this happened in regards to allowing my people to work virtually because I've seen people really be more productive and happier because they're closely connected with their families a little bit more. You know, in some places, people were commuting right. two, almost two, three hours a day. That time is back. Right. But the negative the negative is you could stay connected 24-7 now, right? <laughs> so... Yes. So there's good and there's positive and negative. Absolutely. I've seen a lot of positives and negatives where I work as well, because just like you mentioned, some people who are very resistant to remote workforces are now very open. But then on the flip side, I, I always think as I watch these young parents I'm so glad my daughter is an adult that I'm not trying to virtual homeschool and work at the same time so they could see it from both angles. How about you, Stacey? What are you seeing? I can tell you for myself, I mean, the networking during this time has been phenomenal. Like it's in that sense, it's been a gift to me because I've been able to attend events and meet people and link in with people and have such fantastic conversations that I never would have had before because all these meetings, networking events are now online, right? So it doesn't matter what time zone it is, where it is, I can jump on, put on my camera and have a great conversation with people. And now we're reaching out and we're really leveraging people in our network more than more than we ever did before because we always had the excuse of, oh, I don't have time mm-hmm. to do that. So uh, that's been fantastic for me. And I've seen learning leaders like Diana was saying, Uh, I was talking to a learning leader the other day and they said, we've had people surface from the ground floor become superstars because when push came to shove, they had such great insights, great ideas, spending all weekend trying to solve these problems. And out of the blue, the whole uh, org chart has been almost upended, right? Because superstars and great ideas can come from anywhere. It's not based on some hierarchy. So great ideas have surfaced from everybody in every level of the organization. And I think that's a great thing. I do too. Yeah. But the but the other side too, Mary, and I know you and I have had some conversations since we lead a networking event with other um, learning and talent leaders, is those people that are not as comfortable reaching out and networking, um, maybe they're a little more you know introverted, 
this has been a challenging time because they feel isolated. Mm-hmm. We're extroverts. We're comfortable <laughs> doing it. Technology savvy to some extent uh, as far as networking. <laughs> but I think there's a group of people who are coming up that aren't sure where oh. do I go? How do I connect? And I can't even ask my coworkers because I'm not running by them for a meeting or seeing them in the break room. So I think there is a group of people that it's harder for them to network. And, and I would say start small, reach out to one or two people or, you know, learn more about LinkedIn. I just did an episode with this LinkedIn expert that gave me some fabulous tips and ideas. I wish I would have known those things, you know, 10, 15 years ago. So if you're not feeling as comfortable networking and reaching out and learning, try to invest in yourself and learn a little bit more and how you could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, it's, there's so many different personalities in the workforce and then you change and upend the workforce to be more remote. It changes maybe when you're just getting kind of successful at networking in the office that you have to learn an entirely new skill set. Speaking of skill sets, let's talk a little bit about communication. Last week in my organization, we brought in an outside company to really help some of our people that work in very technical data analytics, insights, finance field to really how do they get good at storytelling? How do they create an engaging narrative and tell a powerful story around the data in which they're presenting? And you guys, you dedicated a whole chapter to communication. So what have you been seeing that leaders have been doing around their communication skills as they've had to face this world that we're living in? That's a great point. And I think it's probably the one of the most challenging things that is facing leaders is this whole thing around communication. And I remember, oh gosh, a couple months ago, I was on a webinar and they were talking about are you getting enough communication? Um, And how are you getting communicated to? And what came up overwhelmingly, I think it was like 90% of the people said, no more Zoom, you know, we're tired of Zoom. (laughs) For sure. Leaders have to be careful about um, over communicating using one media is if there is a way that you could call and have a live conversation with someone, um, a few of my leaders have said, you know, they've they've started these virtual lunches where there's no agenda. They're just there if you want to come in and eat lunch with them and have a conversation. So not scripted. Or if there is a meeting, the leaders are trying to get on there 20 minutes before and stay a half hour later just to interact with anybody. And I think that's so important is to stay connected, but stay connected in a way that your employees, your people want to be connected. Mm. And it's not all about what messages you want to give your employees. Part of it is leadership is communicating vision and connecting. But what do your employees need? Mm. Do they need just a little bit of motivation and coaching do they just need a thought leader is trying to think through what do your employees need and ask them yeah and ask them when it works well for them i like that lunch idea i might steal that one we've been doing friday at 10 o'clock so we've been doing kind of a coffee and connection and about once a month we've been doing a four to five virtual happy hour and there's again no agenda but it's really helping us just to stay connected And having some of those moments that you naturally have when you work near somebody, but now that you're, you know, distant um, and physically separated, you almost have to 
uh, force those things with some kind of fun activities like that. How about you, Stacey? What are you hearing? What I've been hearing and what I've been seeing is that talent champions and leaders are really trying to over-communicate because not having that physical presence on site People feel out of sight, out of mind. They don't know what's going on. So leaders will now have a tendency to over-communicate and in multiple modes, through email, through team meetings, through Zoom, through um, audio recordings. And I think all that is great because people are unsure, of, right? That we feel more unsure and unsettled than maybe we ever have in our whole lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that over-communication is really a good thing. Diana, you probably remember this, your episode 11 of Talent Champions with Ariane Gasser about strategic communication. That was a fantastic episode. I referred that episode to my undergraduate students that I teach, the learning leaders. And I think that intentional strategic communication is really important. And how to do that well is not so easy. So I think practicing and having intentional strategic communication is really important and using a top-down approach. This is where you can learn how to communicate strategically is look at Barbara Mento's book um, called The Pyramid Principle. So you can practice top-down communication because that's how executive leaders want to be reported to and that's how leaders want to be reported to. And that's how you should actually expect people to talk to you. And one of the tools that we have in the book is called The Impact Blueprint. And the purpose of the impact blueprint is to give people a strategic thinking framework to think about their communication and the activities they do and how it adds value and drives impact for the business. So I think just having a strategic framework in your mind and a tool to use will help you be more strategic. Like I wished I had that when I was at Accenture Mm. and my first performance review. Right. It would have been a great tool for you. Now, let's just step back. You know, it's around that time where a lot of companies are in the mode of budgeting. So as companies are looking at uh, the future, as learning and talent leaders are looking at the future, what advice do you have for them so that they can stay nimble and responsive to what's likely going to be more dramatic change going forward? Right now, we feel like things are unpredictable, right? There, there's no new normal. There's no normal. What's it going to look like? We don't know. But what we pretty much do know is that technology is not slowing down. That snowball is rolling down the hill and nobody's going to stop it. <laughs> so I think that digital thought leadership is critical. And if you don't have strong uh, digital or technical skills, this is where you need to invest in yourself and you need to get those skills. If not, you learned it during the pandemic, right? All of a sudden you had to start making decisions about investment in technology real time. Whereas before talent champions, it could be a six month, eight month, you know, 18 month decision to bring a technology on. Now you have to understand what your technology is, how it fits in the tech stack. How does everything talk? How are we going to drive learner engagement through technology? You have to understand this. And if you don't, you need to be sure you have somebody strong on your team that can help you. You have to understand things that are a little more complex, like AI and machine learning. So I think this digital thought leadership will be very critical. I think it's something that we all as up and coming or any up and coming leader or people that really wants to be going on, they need to be thinking about that as they're building their strategic leadership capabilities. Don't you? Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. 
The other thing is, don't be surprised if budgets are cut again. With overall top line sales being down and revenue being down, I think learning leaders have to anticipate they're going to be asked to cut budgets in some cases. If you can really sell why you need the money and how it's an investment versus a cost, I think that's a, a wonderful thing, especially you know with today's most important asset being our people. We can't replicate them. And they are connected to other opportunities. We've got to really make sure that we take care of our top talent and we're not losing them. And that takes investment. Really being creative is if you were asked to cut your budget, where could you cut that wouldn't prevent you from doing what you need to do? You know, are there ways to do things faster, better, cheaper? You don't want to be shocked and then say, I don't know what to do. But you don't also want to go in and say, hey, I could give some money back unless you really can, you know, (laughs) right? I'm not hearing that a lot. But you know, how do you show the value? How do you show what you're doing is going to help and continue to help the company be successful? So that alignment and showing value and really talking about making an investment in people because this is where sometimes companies cut, you know, the investment they make on their people and it hurts them down the road. Mm. So, you know, making smart strategic decisions informed is critical as you're thinking about next year's budget. That's a great point. I think it's important for leaders to continue benchmarking, you know, at least conceptually. So what we need to do is we need to check the robustness of our strategies, right? So we may have a development strategy, a tech strategy, an evaluation strategy. I think what we need to do is benchmark and compare what other people are doing and get some better practices. And when you have partners, they need to help you. They need to show up in a thought leadership role and help you identify some better practices that are going on with their clients so they can share that with you as well. And specifically, when you think about how L&D will now be responsible for to describing the material value of their human capital, right, as organizations start reporting publicly, this is where L&D will have to step up and be able to tell the story, show how they contributed to the story. Probably maybe not even first quarter next year, maybe second quarter, maybe first quarter. Learning and talent champion leaders will be on earnings calls. Mm. Because an investor will come and say, okay, we want to invest in your company and you launched or you implemented product X. Um, now, how's that going? You had a strategic investment in some, in, in some initiative. Now, how's that going? And they're going to have to be on that call defending that investment and those outcomes. Yeah, and that's a tough skill, right? You know, if you're going on an earnings call, that's when you're going to need that storytelling capability as an L&D or talent leader. Mm-hmm. And you're going to also have to have the capabilities to truly understand the data and the impact. Diana, what are you thinking for... Uh, learning and talent leaders, what's important for them? Yeah, I I think for them, I'm going to switch it to personally a little bit. I think it's so critical for you to improve your strategic ability is to continue to have your own personal development plan. Even if you're not required by your company to do that is really look at yourself and say, hey, where are my areas that I need to strengthen? So the first thing that I do when I do a 360 with someone, where are there any potential derailers, you know, things that could prevent you from moving up, you know, and things that people are seeing that 
are going to be kind of roadblocks. So, you know, find out what those are and work on those right away. So, you know, get honest feedback, whether that's through a coach or some trusted colleagues, get some great feedback and start to put this development plan together on closing any gaps that you have that are derailers and then strengthening areas that you need to be improved on, whether it's your company looks at, you know, leadership behaviors or you're still using the term competencies. What are those leaders doing that you need to do better and start to put together a plan? Maybe it's spending time with some of those key leaders and finding out what resources that they used or would recommend for you, but really always have a really good development plan for yourself. And, you know, that's a much better uh, way to move ahead than, you know, hoping you get looked at. You know, hope is not such a great business strategy, <laughs> especially right now, you know? No. Um, I, you know, I love that you're talking about development plans, Dana, because I often, when I'm talking or coaching with somebody, they'll spend more time planning an annual vacation than they do their own development yes. plan over the next five years. You see that too, Stace? Yes. Yeah, yeah. and I think I teach... Um, for university as well and the undergraduate students that I teach, they're just about to enter the workforce in the next year or two. And we have to talk about how they own their development plan. Your company doesn't own that. You own that. And right. you now, for instance, at EdCast, we have a cool feature called Skill Coins, where the company can invest and you can put Skill Coins into your wallet. And I tell my students, take advantage of those opportunities because in that way you can upskill yourself because you're going to work on different projects, work on different careers, you know, maybe even shift careers entirely, you know, because we'll probably all be working some type of gig workforce. Mm -hmm. And so this is really important to take responsibility for your own upskilling and reskilling and know where you need to do that. Yeah, I'm always like taking a class. I'm signing up on like a Coursera or Udemy or eCornell or whatever. And I'm constantly, I've always got one class going because I always feel like I don't know enough and I want to keep learning. It's just essentially a lifelong learner, right? And on that note, I'm just going to ask you guys just quickly, what would you say are some of the most critical skills that you think people are going to need to be strategic leaders in the next maybe five-ish years? Well, I can start. I will tell you again, like I said, digital thought leadership, whether AI, machine learning means something big and scary to you, and you think of robots, you need to brush up on it. You need to understand what digital thought leadership means and what it looks like, because you will be responsible for that, regardless of where you sit in the organization. You have to understand technology. You don't have to you know, dig into the back end, but you need to understand how those investments will drive business value. And I also think you have to practice what you preach. So we're working on upskilling, reskilling, cross-skilling our people. We have to do that to ourselves too, right? The airplane metaphor, you put the mask on yourself first. So we, we actually have to do that and invest in time. And the excuse of I don't have time means you have not prioritized it because you can find time because you can take away some of those tactical tasks that you're doing that you think are tactical, but they are. Take those away, invest in yourself and invest in your strategic think time. I think that that's most important. And another thing is I think that people really need to have a growth mindset. Absolutely, that will be most critical. And I find myself... You know, personally, when I have a fixed mindset, I'll catch myself when somebody presents an idea and I'm just like, I'm going to dig my heels in on this. No, this is not the thing to do. And I tell myself, (laughs) Stacey, stop, stop. 
growth mindset, stop, be open-minded, think about it. There's another way to look at this because we're going to work in so many, with so many different companies, so many different people. It's not going to be one siloed organization anymore. And, and I would go back to how we started is you have to be more strategic, especially during these times of change. So you need to really stay tuned in to the needs of the business and understand the business and understand what's going on in the industry and what changes are happening. And then ensure your actions truly are impacting what the corporation needs you to do or small business or whatever part of the business you're looking at that you are aligned and you can show that value and then think through the consequences if we go down this path what could happen you know what's not going to happen make sure that you get some people that are naysayers and you don't have all these champions around you going yeah this is great think through what the negatives are and then prepare for that and as Stacy always tells me is use data to make those smart decisions and then the last thing I said I would say and we mentioned it earlier is I really believe the leaders of the future, based on where we've been and where we're going, are going to be those leaders that really resonate with their employees, you know, that they know what's going on with their employees, that they can be authentic and relate to them. So understand the challenges that they have and be able to motivate them in a way that employees want to follow that leader. And I think that if there's anything that's going to be uh, the little bit of extra that gives people that little bit of umph or puts leaders in a different category or improves their ability to lead is the ability to have followership. And that is people want to follow leaders that resonate with them, that connect with them. And I think gone are the days where leaders can just be telling people what to do. And we knew that was yeah. gone. Mm -hmm. um, but there's still some leaders, that's their comfort zone. And yes, employees want and need vision and guidance, but they need it in a way that they can absorb and that resonates with them and that you come across as an authentic leader. So I think that's my number one advice as I'm coaching my leaders this year. I love that. Being authentic, really know your people, really relating to them, and just making sure that you're truly a resonant leader. I think it's such an important, important way to look at your role as a leader. Now, I know that Stacy got to answer this question in episode seven. So, Diana, oh. I'm going to be asking you this question this time. Who's the one person that's had the greatest influence on your career to date? Hmm. You know, it's so funny because as I'm on the other side of the role, it, I, I don't know, it might be easier to actually be the, the podcast, you know, host and ask the questions because this one is this one is challenging because you are made up of so many different experiences that, you know, we've all been blessed to interact with great leaders. And then I've been blessed to work with some not so great leaders and you learn what you wouldn't do as a leader. And I promised I would never have this happen, you know, if I was the leader. And so I think it's, it, you can learn from both sides. But the one person that has impacted my life the most in regards to my professional career is my dad. Mm -hmm. And my dad, he passed away five years ago. And he was my biggest champion. But that was all along. I remember him always saying to me, you can be and do anything you want, Diana. 
And I believed him, you know? So when opportunities came up, he'd be like, do you want to do that? And I'm like, yes, well, then go interview for it, you know? So I think it's so critical to have somebody, especially early on, believe in you and support your dreams and be there uh, just giving you that support when you start to doubt yourself. So my dad was just a fabulous person in regards to supporting your dreams and making you feel like you could do anything, especially as I think about, you know, coming up in corporate America, you know, 30, 20 years ago is there weren't a lot of uh, women leaders in positions that, you know, I was in. And I never thought that I didn't deserve to be there. You know, I always believed it was right for me. And I learned and I grew and I used great resources. But, you know, believe in your people, give especially your your family, your children, that confidence, that wonderful gift that they can do anything, because then they, they feel like they can. And that's the biggest mindset. I know both of you as youth coach leaders is, you know, you're trying to get somebody to believe in themselves. And mm-hmm. if you can go into the, the a position or into anything, believing in yourself is so important. And then the other thing he would say to me is, you can't get something unless you ask for it. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because just recently I have two daughters, 28 and 30, and one of them was going for an interview and she said, yeah, I asked for this because you were in my head, mom. You said, if I don't (laughs) ask, I can't get it. (laughs) I love it. It sounds like your dad was just an amazing man. I wish I would have met him, Diana, because it sounds like he really laid that amazing foundation for you by believing in you and now you're carrying that on to your daughters by believing in them but I also know you as a learning leader and as a coach you are also believing in a lot in the people that you work with and helping them to grow and helping them to trust in themselves so that is such a gift that your dad's legacy is being carried on through you which is really cool yeah thank you so tell me What final piece of advice do you to have for our talent champion listeners today? I'll start with you, Stacey. You know, Diana, I have to say that speaking about your father, I think that's a fantastic story. And even if you, I didn't grow up in such a situation. I didn't have a role model. I had nobody that was championing, championing me. I had to champion myself. So I think that even if you're in a situation where you don't really have that level of support that um, if you lo- if you utilize your intellectual curiosity, because I think we all have it, that will drive you in a situation that's right for you. I've seen my 20-year-old daughter do that. When she started college, she was like, mom, I cannot figure out a major. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. All these people know. And I said, worry 0% about that because it will unfold. It did for me and it will unfold and I'm not guiding you. I'm not coaching you on what to do. I'm just telling you what I see your interests are and you're realizing it. So I think your intellectual curiosity can drive you. And the one thing that I tell my daughter always, which I think is the biggest takeaway, is an education is the one thing that nobody can take away from you, right? We've all, we've had health issues that have been taken away. Maybe we've had financial issues, all kinds of things that can be taken away. But I know my ability to survive is because I'm educated and I can make smart decisions and I can help coach and guide other people that way. So I think that learning and investing in yourself is the best possible thing you can do. I love that. And it's really goes back to all of us being lifelong learners and trying Mm -hmm. to carry that legacy on to others. 
How about you, Diana? Yeah. Well, in addition to using our principles and be more strategic, because I think that is timeless advice, I would say invest in yourself personally. And we've kind of been saying that throughout. I used to do these presentations for our women's leadership groups. And and I came up with this acronym, actually, my wonderful communication person helped me with this acronym is GROW. You know, so the G is get the right balance in your life. It may be, you know, sometimes we're working a little bit more, but then we've got to make time for our personal life, we've got to make time for our exercise, but get the right balance. Because if you don't have the right balance, you can't show up at your highest level. So that's the G. The R is remember, it takes a team, we can't do anything alone. You've got to be able to get things done with others. Maybe it's through a network relationship. Maybe it's a peer relationship. Maybe it is your team. But remember that it takes a team to get things done. And the O is opt in for opportunities. I I get frustrated as a coach sometimes because there's people that have so much ability and I know that they have this awesomeness inside of them, but they're saying, I'm not ready or no, that person's probably more qualified or, you know, so opt in and say yes, step up and, and take care of yourself and give yourself a little bit of a stretch from time to time. Uh, you'll figure it out. So always opt in. And then the W is work to keep yourself sharp. So as both of you have talked about is be that constant learner because there's so much great information out there and the world is changing so much that you can figure it out. If you don't know, find out, find somebody that does. And then I'd say the last thing is somebody who has found so much joy being semi-retired and teaching yoga is just enjoy the journey. We only get this one life, at least the one we know about, is just enjoy the journey. Do things that bring you joy and jazz you up and uh, share that love and joy with others. I love that. So G, get the right balance. I remember it takes a team. O is opt in for opportunities. And W is work to keep yourself sharp. And along this, don't forget to enjoy the journey. That's beautiful. Here's a summary of today's episode. Strategic leaders show that they're driving the corporate strategy and adding real value. They're tuned into the needs of the business and understand how their contributions influence broader objectives. They use data to think through consequences and make smart decisions. All strategic leaders bring different talents to the table, but they share a focus on making an impact. The principles of strategic leadership become even more important in a disruptive environment. People need leaders who can set a strong vision and motivate a team to move forward. In 2020, talent champions became frontline workers almost overnight as the pandemic hit and companies scrambled to respond. Now that most businesses have adapted to their new business models, talent champions or those people responsible for talent at public companies are shifting their focus to a new SEC requirement to disclose the material value of their human capital in earning reports. And finally, The social unrest this year also highlights the continual need to stay focused on diverse and inclusive leadership. Stacy's L&D SWOT analysis highlighted the importance of strategic planning. 
those talent leaders who had a strong grasp of the business value of their contributions have come through this year stronger and better prepared for the future than those that scrambled to create a strategy as the pandemic unfolded. Most leaders seem to have their formal communications down in this remote environment and are now looking for ways to recreate the informal interactions that naturally occur in an office environment. Some ideas for connecting rather than one-on-one communication includes casual check-in calls or texts, arriving early or staying late in virtual meetings, and eating lunch together on a video call. Looking forward, digital thought leadership is becoming a critical skill set for strategic leaders. If you don't have strong technical skills, this is an opportunity to invest in yourself and learn about hot topics in the tech world. Create and prioritize your personal development plan. You can't wait for someone to recognize you and promote you. You have to go after it. You also need to accept the likelihood of dramatic changes throughout your career and be as prepared as possible by acquiring the skills that transfer well. Keep a growth mindset and follow your intellectual curiosity. Thanks for all your support for our Talent Champion podcast. We'd love to hear from you on what topics and guests you'd like to see in the future. So go to our website, talent-champions.com, to provide feedback as well as to receive email notifications when new episodes are released and to receive bonus material from our guests. Thanks for listening to Talent Champions with Diana Thomas. Be sure to check out the full Franklin Covey Podcast Network by searching Franklin Covey on your favorite podcast provider. <laughs>